Um, and hello, everybody. Happy Sunday. Hey, <clears throat> happy Sunday. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Love Day. Um, I am very happy to be here. I'm happy to see all of you guys here. <clears throat> it always like just warms my heart to see that um, still in a time like this, you know, we can come together collectively. Um, we may not be within the four walls of the church, but we very much still are the church and not even a worldwide pandemic can break apart God's people. So I'm, I'm very, very thankful to see everybody here. Um, let's just open up in prayer and we'll jump right into the word. Um, hopefully we'll go through this uh, and be done on time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for gathering us here yet again on another Sunday to just worship you, Lord, to discuss your word, oh God, to fellowship with one another. We thank you so much for carrying us through a week, oh God, protecting us, providing for us. Now we ask God that you continue to remain on this call, oh God, that you will use me, Father God, as a vessel and as an instrument, Father God, to speak to your people, God. And I pray that for every person that is on this call, every ear, Father God, that is listening, Lord, that they will be blessed, Lord, that they will walk away from this call with something, oh Lord, that they will be able to keep in their hearts, oh God, and implement in their lives. We give you all the glory because none of this is possible without you or your love for us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Amen. Amen, guys. So obviously with today being Valentine's Day, you know, I have to be stereotypical and cliche and preach on love. But I want to, um, you know, kind of kind of put a little spin on it, right? So, you know, we all know that God is love. We know God loves us. We know Jesus Christ. Da, da, da. Uh, but I want to I want to open it up a little bit more and, and hear from you guys, number one about what love is to you and or why you love God. And then I want to go through and, and kind of talk about what what my sentiments are on it, um, you know, why I love God. And it's going to be a little bit, um, that's going to kind of open me and segue us into the word for today. So um, you guys have been a little quiet this morning slash this afternoon. So I want to open the floor and I will be picking people if nobody decides to talk. But what is love to you and or why do you love God? Like, why do you come to church? Like, like the floor is open. Yes, Cassandra. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. What is love to you, or why do you love Jesus? Uh, love to me, I think it's all about showing that you care. And I think that's why I love Jesus, because he always shows Jesus and God, because they show that they care. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. No wrong answers, by the way, guys. Everybody's just sharing, and it's going to be different for everybody, maybe similar. Um, but what do you love about God, or what is love to you? The, um, in children's service, they say something um, that I remember. I love God because he first loved me. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Uncle Albert. That is very much on point with what I'll be speaking on today. So don't get ahead of yourself. Who else? Uh, yeah, so I think um, love is like kind of like 
showing like a deep commitment or you know a type of like loyalty to someone and the reason why I love God is because um God is just you know his grace and just who he is and his character and the fact that like us as humans like we're so you know like terrible and like you know we sin and like we do all that but yet God is so committed to us and he loves us so much amen thank you for that Leslie a few more anybody else Come on, guys, everybody should have an answer. Otherwise, there would be no point of you even being a Christian or being on this call. Why do you love Christ? I would say uh, love is showing care, even if the person doesn't show care to you. Mm. And um, I love God just because, you know, just over the years, it just carried me naturally. He's the only one to really show great love compared to anyone else. Awesome. Bonus points for Stephen for answering both questions. Thank you, Stephen. God bless you. Uh, anybody else? Let's do one more. I would say love to me means like that undescribable feeling of happiness you get yeah. or like just passion. And why I love God is because no matter what, how much hatred you have in your heart or how many sins you commit, you still, he's still tries his best to give out that undescribable happy feeling towards you just to make sure that you are reassured and you know that he loves you and he's always there amen thank you so much god bless you you guys are all right and you know obviously it, it's all subjective so everybody's experience with god their experience with this religion and their relationship with god is different but I think uniformly we can all just agree that God is good, right? And the Bible tells us that for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son. It's probably the first Bible verse that we all learned as children. So we understand that, you know, love, love requires some sort of sacrifice, right? Love requires us to get, right? My, my definition of love, and, and again, everything is, is subjective. Everybody has their own sort of thing. So for me, I've always kind of went by the definition that says love is doing what is best, right? Love is doing what is best for others, right? Without any regard for yourself. So it's not just doing what's right for others because we may do things for others and we may say it's right, but we have our own sort of selfish reasons behind it. But no. Love is a lot more pure than that. Love is, I'm going to do what's best for you without any regard for myself, right? So the why behind love. And, you know, I think God has been so gracious, so gracious to, to mankind. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why I love God, a couple of you guys kind of hit on it, is, is because he's just, right? And, you know, so I kind of want to reverse it today. And not necessarily talk about God's love, but, but talk about another really important characteristic of God, which is that he is just. And I think it's really, really important to understand that. And I say that because a lot of us find it difficult to receive or accept the love of God or, or, or accept the love of Christ because we don't understand God's justice. We don't, we don't really, un, we don't understand it. And 
rightfully so, because we are limited in our thinking and our reasoning. But I'm hoping that by today, just kind of talking through, you know, some of, some of my studies, um, we, can, we can understand a little bit better about how God's love actually is coupled and intertwined with his justice, right? Because if God was only love, guys, this world would be a lot worse than what it is, right? A lot worse than what it is. A couple weeks ago, I, I preached on, you know, just how filthy the world is, right? How sinful our nature is. And as a result, you know, what, what, what that's left us with, right? As, as humanity, as people, as mankind. Um, and so if God was just love, right? Then sin would go unpunished. Right. And, and that would be really, really problematic because we talked about some of the heinous things that we may not see, but we know happen in this world. And if God was just a loving God, if he was only a loving God, then this world would actually be flipped upside down. It would it would probably look closer to hell. But I, I want to impress on you guys today that the reason why we're in the position that we we're in, right? The reason why we come to church, the reason why we love God is not only because he loves us, but because he is just, right? His justice was set forth since the creation of man. And it's the reason why Christ exists, right? So I said just a few minutes ago that, that God is love, yes, but God is also just, right? And so, God, even God, right, will never go back on his own word, right? And so let's let's just talk about quickly the narrative of the, the creation of man, right? We all know the story of Adam and Eve, and God creates us people, right, from the dust of the ground, right? He puts us in this beautiful garden. He gives us access to everything, right, in the garden, except that one tree where he says, don't eat from this tree, and it was less about the physical tree and what it does to us more so than it was about God testing, right, our love for him, right? Because we've also talked about before in the past that free will, right, is the only way that you can really determine if somebody actually loves you, right? If God created us and he didn't give us the ability to not choose him, right, then he would have no way of knowing whether or not we truly loved him. So he puts Adam and Eve in this garden. He gives them access to everything and he loves them. He loves them so very much. But in order to really assess their love for him, he puts this tree, uh, this, this tree in the garden and he tells them not to eat from it. All right. And God already establishes at that point in time. So he tells them you've accessed all these things, but just not this one thing. And he tells them what the consequences are if they break that right if if they disobey him right so he already establishes the law he already establishes the consequences right remember i said that even god even god and this is this is this is what makes me love god so much is that he is omnipotent he's omni um, uh, he's omnipresent he's all these incredible uh, all these incredible um qualities right that separate him from us right so in other words, God doesn't have to abide by anybody's rules, right? Because he's timeless, he's unmovable, he's, he's existed, like our brains can't even comprehend, right? Just or fathom, right? The, the, the wholeness of who God is. 
but but God is not subject to any rules, right? But even God himself is so just, guys, hear me out. He's so just that he will not go against his own word. So what happens? Adam and Eve basically betray God, right? It's this idea of treason, right? It's that God has given you everything. He's, he's put you in this place where literally you, you lack nothing, right? And even still then, instead of choosing to love God and display that love through your obedience to him, right? Adam and Eve sin against God. So what does that do, right? It automatically puts them in the category and the position where them and all of their offspring and all of us as a result have to be punished for our sins, right? And it, it doesn't even it doesn't even stop there. Because you see, when God established the consequences for sin, especially to Adam and Eve, he made it very clear that from this this fruit, right, you will surely die, right? And that was one of the things that Satan sort of used to get into their heads. Because he said, like, did God really say that you won't die? No. If you eat from this, you'll you'll your eyes will become open, you'll become like God, right? Which is what enticed them to to eat from that fruit. And so the, the betrayal, right? Imagine being God, the betrayal. You, you, you've created these creatures from the dust, literally the grass, nothing, right? And you've you vowed to love these people. You vowed to care for them, right? And, and, and really put everything into them. And in a split second, the serpent, right? Your, your arch, arch nemesis, you know, the, the only thing in person um, or entity that opposes you is able to sort of get into the minds of your beloved, right? And, and betray you in that sense. I'm sure that was really hurtful to God, right? And, and furthermore, Adam and Eve, the Bible says they hid from God, right? Because they, they realized that they were naked and they also realized they're wrong. And so now we're in this dilemma. Like this is like a really sort of, I think, awkward situation because God loves us. He absolutely, positively loves us. And I think, you know, I can say it, but even me uttering the words just doesn't do it justice. You guys will never be able to fathom or understand how much God, how much Jesus Christ truly loves you. God loves us. But in that moment, we had sinned. Adam and Eve fell short. And now there, there's this law. It has to flow through the sequence of events, right? You disobey God. You sin. Now you must be punished, right? And the punishment must be death, right? And God is really, really loving, but God is also really, really just. And so God is incapable, right, of being unjust, right? Because that would then take away from his holiness and his perfection and his righteousness. So every sin must be punished and everything that God says must come to pass. And so he's, again, in this dilemma, where his beloved, us, the ones who he loves so much, have now fallen short and have sinned and we deserve death, right? That should have been it for us, guys. That should have been it. That should have been the end of the story, the end of the narrative, and the end of our existence, right? There should be no reason for us to be even sitting here on this call, having this conversation. There should be no reason for us to go on living and having life, right? But, but what happens in the heavens, right? Jesus basically volunteers himself, right? Knowing that there is now sin that has happened, 
and there's a payment, right? There's atonement that must be made for the sin and we have to pay it, right? For God so loved the world, right? That he put his deity aside and came down to earth and became a human, knowing that the only person who would ever be able to take on the wrath of God was God himself, but in the human flesh. So he came down to this earth and he lived a perfect life, right? He lived a perfect sinless life. And that wasn't arbitrary or random or unintentional, right? Jesus Christ walked this earth so that we would have an example, somebody to look up to, somebody to help us understand, okay, how do we do this? How do we live this life, okay? And moreover, Jesus Christ goes through, lives this perfect life. He's sinless. He, he's teaching the word of God and he performs all these miracles. And, you know, everybody is looking at him like he's crazy, right? Um, especially the, the high priests and, and people who think that, you know, he's, he's actually come to cause havoc, wreak havoc amongst the people. And so they crucify him. They crucify him. And by the way, what I'm saying, that what the narrative that I'm portraying, especially about the life of Jesus Christ, is not like folklore, right? This isn't like some sort of mystical story that, you know, has been passed on from generation to generation. This is, this is a, a narrative and a story that's been supported with historical facts, right? In other words, guys, we have historians and theologians and people who are really learned in studying history, right? who have confirmed, right, <clears throat> with certainty that just as much as George Washington was a human being that existed, that lived, and but was the president of the United States, Jesus Christ was also a human being who lived and walked among this earth over 2,000 years ago and preached this gospel, right? There are texts and, and, and historical artifacts, right, that support that. So I don't want anybody to ever think that you know, we're just here, like, you know, worshiping this mystical God, or this is like, this may not be true. No, this is, this is in fact, a human being that actually existed, right? The son of man, Jesus Christ. And he came down and this is what he professed, right? And he walked this earth and he preached the love of God and he preached how people, right? Who have then fallen into sin, people who deserve death and judgment, how they could be saved right? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so the, the narrative that I always like to, or the illustration rather, that I like to present to people who find it hard to understand why we would need a savior, it's like, it's like you are in a courtroom, and let's say that you, um, you know, you, you received a ticket or something, right? You, you were in violation of the law. So you're in a courtroom, you know, the judge is going through and he's, he's telling you what the offenses were and he's telling you what the fine is. He says, boom, $5,000 fine or you go to jail, right? And in that moment in time, right, we are like the defendant who is sitting on the other side of the judge and we're looking around like, judge, I don't have $5,000. I can't pay for this, this offense that I've committed. I can't, right? And in most situations, right, especially the way we human beings think and rationalize, what happens? You don't have the price to pay for it, 
guess what? You get handcuffed and you get thrown in jail, right? That is how you pay for the consequences of, you know, breaking the law, right? But God loving us so much, right? Couldn't establish a system where he would let you go free, right? Because that would actually be very unfair, right? I, I don't know if this is true, but I, I, there's this like rumor that when Adolf Hitler went to trial and, and they were reading sort of the, the list of offenses, it took them nine hours to get through all of his offenses, right? I don't really, I don't know, that's, that's a really, really long time. We all know that he killed a lot of people, but I don't know really much else, like why else it would take a really long time. But anyways, someone like Adolf Hitler, right, going through and the judge is listening to the offenses, right? It, it, it would be really, really messed up if at that point the judge goes through and lists all those offenses and then says, you know what? But I think you've learned your lesson. Yeah, a lot of people died. Yeah, a lot of things happened, but you know, I love you. So go ahead, go scot-free. Like we wouldn't think that's fair, right? And so God being the perfect standard of moral rightness and just justice, right? also doesn't operate that way. So we're on the other side of that judge's bench. And we're like, judge, I can't pay for this price. None of us would have been able to pay that heavy burden, right? Because that would have been death, right? And God loving us so much didn't even want that for us. So what, what, what God did, what Christ did, is unlike anything we've ever seen or heard before. He is the judge who walked out from behind his bench, approached us, reached in his pocket, pulled out the $5,000 that we owed, and then handed it to us and said, if you take this, right, you're done, you're free, right? I'm now paying the price for a crime that you committed, right? Or offense that you, you took. And I think, I think that, speaks, that speaks really huge volumes because that illustration shows that not only not only did God refuse to adjust the system, so in other words, say, okay, well, I'm God, I can change the rules, never mind, you go for free. No, God abided by that, that, that law, that system that he set in place where he said, every sin must go punish. God abided by that. And instead, what he did is he came down. He came down himself and he handed us that, 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 that free gift, right? And it's just, it's beyond powerful. And I think the other part of that illustration that we have to understand is that in order for us to be able to actually be set free and not in order for us to actually be able to walk out of that courtroom free, right, of any guilt or anything that is owed, we have to actually accept that gift, right? And this is what the faith is all about. This is, this is what we're doing. This is why we come to church. This is why we do these Zoom calls, right? It's our demonstration. We, we've taken now that free gift, right? And we've been bailed out and we have a second chance, right? That's what this is all about. We have a second chance to live the right way, to, to walk the right way, and to love God the right way, right? Not the way that Adam and Eve did it, right? They failed, right? And, and we still fail day in and day out. But guess what? God is coming down from his bench every day, every second, every opportunity, and he's paying that gift, right? And some would even say he, he went as far as, as paying trillions of dollars, put all of that payment down forward. 
So knowing that we would sin in the future, like having paid for it all and giving us an opportunity at life, giving us an opportunity at knowing him and loving him and treasuring him. And so my question then to you guys is like, knowing that that's the kind of God that we served, like, why wouldn't we love him back, guys? Why, why wouldn't we give him all the glory, all the honor, all the praise? Why wouldn't we just bow at his feet and worship a God like this, right? A God who came down and died for us to show us that he loved us, right? A God that is so just that he wouldn't even go against his own word. Some of us, if, if um, I don't know if I can have a good analogy, but you know, let's say like you're throwing a party and you're, you're, you're having like, you're playing some board game or something, a board game that you create or you discovered, right? As soon as we realize that perhaps we're losing or the game is not going in our favor, what do we do? All of a sudden we change up the rules, right? There's so many different variations of Uno. And as soon as you realize that, you, you know, you're losing or perhaps there's, there's another approach or another rule that could work in your favor, you apply it, right? And we change things up, right? Because we're only interested in what's going to benefit us, right? But, but God being so perfect and being so just said, no, I, I, I myself, I, God, have to come and I have to abide by this structure. And I'm going to do it in such a way where it offers my beloved, the people that I love, a second chance, right? And I think the other part of God's justice that I want us to understand is that that God God's justice it it applies to everything, right? So it doesn't just apply to how he operates and how the story of mankind came about. It operates in our own lives. And we have to be very very keen of that because Sometimes we go around, you know, saying, oh, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. We say it so many times that it almost loses its potency, right? So God loves us, but God also is just, right? And one of the reasons I think that we have a hard time accepting God's love for us or understanding God's love for us is we see all the things around us in our life, maybe in our world, and it's not very pretty right? And we have this really false perception of what love is supposed to look like. We have this really false perception of what a loving God is supposed to look like, what he's supposed to do for us, right? We, we, we put him synonymous to some sort of Santa Claus vending machine like God, where, you know, as soon as we pray for something, we should have it, <clears throat> right? That our lives are supposed to look so perfect, right? We're not supposed to have any issues, any troubles, any trials, right? And that would be the only way to understand or see that, okay, God loves me, right? But I, I really want to, to, to remind you guys that that's not the case. And that's not what the Bible tells us, right? I think the Bible makes it very clear that God hasn't promised us this life of luxury, right? Because even that wouldn't be fair, right? Some people say, well, how, how could a loving God you know, allow such negative things to happen? Or how could a loving God do this to this person? How could a loving God, we always question God's love. We always question his standard of, of righteousness. We, we question God's ability to do right from wrong as if we are any better, right? The reality is guys, nobody is good. 
Nobody is right. We can't say how can something, you know, how can God let something bad happen to a good person? None of us are good, guys. None of us deserve any of this, right? God doesn't owe us anything. He never has. Everything that he's given us from even just the breath, guys, the breath in our lungs, right? The oxygen that we breathe, that is a gift. Every single thing is a gift. And so when you find yourself going through trying times, right? You find yourself in a really tough situation. Understand that God still loves you, right? And it's part of the, the it's part of God's justice, right? That really our lives look the way that they do. Number one, God will never violate his free will, right? So understand that as much as God would love to just intervene every time something bad was happening, he doesn't always do that. I'm sure he could, but he doesn't always, right? Because even God, again, going back to just how just he is, even God will not violate his free will. And another thing that really keeps me sort of sane and grounded when I think about some of the things that happen in this world is, is this idea. It's not necessarily biblical per se, but there are a lot of Bible scriptures that support it. It's, it's, um, it's the ripple effect. It's this butterfly theory. And it's just the idea in science that an event today can ripple into the future to affect trillions of other events in the future, right? In other words, uh, and, and this is really true, but it, it's they call it the butterfly effect because a butterfly that flaps its wings in Tokyo, Japan, can somehow through a stream of trillions of events that we can't even comprehend, can have an effect on the other side of the world and cause a tornado in Tennessee, right? And the reality is, we're just things are so interconnected right and so as much as you may see okay something bad has happened in my life today remember when the bible tells us in the book of romans that all things work for the good of those who love god and are called according to his purpose right so as much as god loves us for those who love him he's using those situations right He's using those times in your lives where maybe you feel down or maybe you feel like, like, God, why is this my life? Or God, it's not fair that this or God. He's using all those things, right, for your good. We, we don't know or understand how those things can ripple or catapult in the future for our benefit, right? Just this past week at work, I made a really, really big mistake. And I work at a law firm, so sometimes as an employee, if you make a mistake, like it, it's the kind of thing that can get an attorney disbarred, right? The kind of thing that can make you lose your job, basically. So I had a really, really big mistake. We had settled a lawsuit, <clears throat> and before the other side hands you the settlement money, you have to have your client sign a settlement agreement, which is basically a contract agreeing to this amount of money. I agree not to go on Facebook and slander your name. There's a whole bunch of different clauses that you have to agree to. So there was a settlement that I was supposed to mail out to one of our clients, right? And mind you, we have two clients with the same exact name. One of them worked for Bank of America. One of them worked for SunTrust Bank. So they're both bank tellers, right? And the settlement, the lawsuit that we had settled was related to, you know, their work. So anyways, I, it must have been a day where I was just very busy. I was just going through stuff, went into our system, printed out the settlement release, 
and put a little note, you know, please sign here, please sign here, got the address, I put it on and I, and I, and I mailed it out, right? Only to find that I sent it to the wrong person, right? Again, same name, similar sort of occupation, but I sent it to the wrong person. And you see, that's the kind of thing where ordinarily you'd be like, eh, that happens, you know, understandable mistake. But at, at a law firm, at, at the, the level of work that we do, that's just a mistake that can't happen, right? Because there's a lot of confidentiality issues and things like that. So I made a very big mistake. And, you know, you can imagine I came to work and I just, my whole energy, everything was just like, dang. I was like, I even asked God, I was like, God, how, like, what was going on with me? How, how come you didn't stop me from like, come, like, you know, just not blaming God, but just like, dang God, you could have intervened a little bit. You could have helped me out. Like, what was going on with me? How could I, how could I have made a mistake like that? Um, you know, and fortunately for me, you know, my supervisors and my bosses, you know, they're just kind of like, okay, Olivia, you know, Olivia's not the kind of person who does this sort of thing. So I think I got a kind of uh, like a warning, but kind of, you know, I still felt the pressure, the kind of like, Olivia, that's not good. So anyways, that was the beginning of last week. And the end of the week, guys, I kid you not, the craziest thing happened. So I sent this settlement release to the wrong person. And the wrong person that I sent it to, as a result, was reminded of our firm, right? So mind you, this person was a client. Uh, this person, excuse me, this person was actually not a client. This was somebody that we said, hey, look, we think we can help you in your case. And they turned us down. They said, eh, we don't need you guys to help us. So what I ended up doing is I sent the wrong settlement release to this person. And this person was reminded that, oh, we had reached out to them. We offered to do their case. They said, no, they did it on their own and they failed. So they called us back and they said, look, you guys sent me the wrong settlement release. But actually, I think now I want to hire you guys to handle my case. Mind you, this is not just a little case. Her case, after we did the calculations, is valued at over $1.5 million dollars one of the biggest cases in the decade, right, that we would have potentially taken on. And just last Friday, that person that I mistakenly sent the settlement release to sent me her fee agreement and the notice of representation basically saying that she's hiring us. All of a sudden, the energy and the vibes in the office became so different. People started applauding me. Oh, wow, Olivia, it's crazy how a mistake that you made turned into something so amazing for the firm. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I would have had no way of knowing that that mistake, something that I beat myself down on, something that I even challenged God on, right, would turn out and work out not only for my good, but for the good of everything else. Can you imagine? Now, that's not necessarily the story in all situations, but it happens, guys. In all things, God is working for our good, even when we make mistakes. The same thing happened to Joseph, right? Sold into slavery by his own brothers, his own family, right? And so when this great big fam famine happened and you found Joseph in Egypt, right? Where all the food is stored, his family ends up coming to him and they recognize that it's Joseph. Joseph recognizes his family. And what does he say to them? Ha ha, suckers, look at me now. No, God, Joseph embraces them and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? And it's because God is just. He recognizes that, look, he's not going to interfere or violate so much with our free will. So everybody is kind of free to do what they want. But God, he's going to use that for our good. I want you to understand, any, any, any of us, or I'm sure any other God, 
would probably change the rules of the game so that all of a sudden everything looked as perfect as it is. But God being so infinitely wise doesn't even do that. He still plays by the rule. He still plays by the rule book. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Leslie just texted me. <laughs> he still plays by the rule book. He still plays by the rule book. And as a result, he's able to remain just. He's able to remain holy. Okay. And I want you guys to remember that, right? That even though you may feel like your life looks a certain way, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, right? If anything, it just shows that he is going to use his infinite wisdom to use that for your glory, or excuse me, use that for his glory right which will benefit you right a lot of times those are the situations that fortify us it strengthens our character it makes us better people and we have to remember that right it's not it's not the way the the world tries to portray love right it's not this like you know i'm always going to do what's what's right for you especially when it interests me and i'm not going to offend you i'm not going to no love sometimes is very painful right and you know, we have to recognize and understand that, you know, God sometimes will allow certain things to happen in our lives, but it's all part of the plan. It's all part of, of his infinite wisdom, right? I forget the name, but there's this really famous um, theologian who, who said, maybe he was a professor, but this really great, um, I'll have to find it and maybe send it to Kevin, but he, he said something along the lines of, you know, if, he, if he was God for 24 hours, in other words, if he had all of God's power, if he, if he had all of God's powers, he would change almost everything. If he had the ability to do what God could do in our lives and in this world, he would change everything. But he also said, if he had God's wisdom, in other words, if he could see and understand the whole ripple of events, the whole uh, cause and effect of the things that happened. If, if he understood God's wisdom, then he said he wouldn't touch anything. He would leave everything the same. Because you realize that God sees the bigger picture, guys. We can, right? And he's seen the bigger picture since the beginning of time. And it's carried us up until this point in time. All we have to do is accept that gift, right? And accept that we are we are we are living in a fallen world right so our life is not going to be perfect but 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 what god can guarantee is that all of those unfortunate circumstances and events in our lives will be propelled forward to bless us right and become a positive thing for us right which is another incredible way i think that god shows his love for us so i, I want you guys to remember but in as much as God loves us, in as much as he sent his son to die for us, in as much as he's done all these incredible things for us to show that he loves us, he is also very just, right? And by the way, that also goes to speak towards how he will judge us, right? How judgment will come about, okay? So a lot of us like to say, oh, you know, it's not fair. How come my life is like this? And so-and-so's life looks like this. Look, guys. The reality is we're all going to be judged according to the talents, right? It's like the parable of talent. We're all going to be judged based on what we have, right? And based on what we used and did with what we have, 
right? So you can't compare yourself to somebody who's living on a different level or on a different standard because they're going to be judged accordingly. It goes back to the justice of God, right? And, and also speaking, guys, and I'm, I'm going to be very honest and very frank with you. The person who lives in a certain demographic in the world who, who doesn't have access to Christianity, doesn't have access to the word of God, they're going to be judged differently than maybe you and I are, right? Because to whom much is given, much is required. Some of us are like, oh my God, I can't wait till I'm, you know, I work hard and I become rich. Just understand that as soon as you become wealthy, there's going to be a lot more required from you. To whom much is given, much is required. Goes back to God's justice, right? And so, you know, Kevin, myself, Uncle Albert, Auntie Eunice, Patricia, we are not going to be judged on the same level that you guys are going to be judged, right? Because there's there are certain things, right, that God has given us all. Kevin spoke on it last week, the body of Christ, right? We all have different parts to play, right? And if you, as somebody in the body of Christ, you're not pulling your weight, right? Or you're not doing your part, best believe that you will get judged for that, right? And God is so perfect in that sense of morality and righteousness that at the end of the day, when some people end up in heaven, some people end up in hell, nobody is going to be able to say, this is not fair, right? Because I promise you, there's one thing that God is, it's that he's fair. So be careful what you wish for. And, and, and don't always compare yourself to other people and other standards, because those people are going to have to give an account for what they have and what they're doing with it, right? And you are just as much as anybody else, right? And so, you know, for maybe the young boy in Ghana who doesn't have access to an education, he's doing the best he can with what he's got. God is going to judge him for that. But you get on this line every Sunday. You don't say a word. You don't evangelize. You, you don't do anything. You will get judged for that, right? And it's not to stir fear to anybody, but it's to help you to understand that we serve a loving God who's also very fair. So we all have to co-sign to that agenda. We all have to understand that this is the reality of the God we serve. And this is one of the reasons why we have to love him and appreciate him so much. Because guess what? No other God, right, in the history of all the millions of God, I'm sure that have existed throughout time, lowercase g, no other God has been able to live up to the standard that our God does. So I hope that you guys take that message and you apply it and you're just reminded of God's love in, in which he shows us through his justice for all of us in, in our lives. Um, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for a time like this. Thank you, God, for your word that came. Thank you for reminding us that you are fair, that you are a God of judgment, that you are a God of righteousness, and that you are also a God of love. Thank you so much that you hold all these characteristics and qualities that make you the perfect God to worship and the perfect God to serve. Thank you for coming and dying for us, right? Not changing the game, not changing the strategy or the rules, but abiding by it and still choosing to love us, God, even through that. We, we are so undeserving of you. We are so undeserving of everything that you've given us. You owe us nothing, God, but yet you give us so much. 
We love you and we thank you. And on this Valentine's Day, God, we just want to profess that to you. Although we don't need a specific day to say it, we want to take this opportunity to say it, that we love you, God, and we thank you. I pray, oh God, committing the rest of everybody, God, into your hands. And as we wrap up the service and prepare for this upcoming week, we pray that you will just continue to be that reminder to us, oh God, that we will be judged according to the standard that we live by. And that what you've given us, oh Father, Lord God, we are going to have to give an account for it. So please help us to be reminded of that and to apply it, oh God, and to be useful, Lord God, as, as a body of Christ, oh Lord, to use all of our talents and our abilities and our strengths, oh Lord, to help grow your kingdom, oh Lord, and to give glory to you. It is in your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.